it's the Creator Spaces Show. Welcome back to the Creator Spaces Show. And today, we're talking about acquiring SaaS businesses with Andrew Pierno. This conversation explores how Andrew grew from zero to 20,000 MRR in six months. Let's get right into it. I know you've got a dot capital and I think I saw somewhere that you're working on a fund, but for now you're micro private equity. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's right. You've got a few SaaS companies now and you've also launched a service, Cold Email Studio. And before we really get into that, I want to ask you just straight up, do you consider yourself a creator? So some small backgrounds from ages like 15 to 20, I was spending like five, six hours a day playing guitar. I got hurt. It was a radial tunnel issue. Got surgery, blah, blah, blah. I couldn't play guitar anymore. So I have a very weird answer to that in the sense that I just don't care that much about having that identity as the creator. It meant the world to me when I was a teenager playing music all the time. It made me feel good to identify as a creative type. And then when that got taken away and I spent a couple years doing film stuff, I was in a few commercials and yeah. So I love your answer because if I could summarize what you're saying, you are a creator. You recognize it and you choose not to identify as it. It's not that I choose not to identify with it. I just spend about zero time thinking about that. <laughs> Perfect. And I know you write some great blog posts and you create companies, which is really what I'm interested in talking about today. So tell me, how did Cold Email Studio come about? So the venture studio where I was at, one of the companies looked like it was going to be the real winner. And through a series of battlefield promotions, I became CTO of that portfolio company. We raised close to $8 million and spent close to $8 million. And I wrote it all the way up and all the way down till it was just me. And then basically November of last year was when we just said, okay, we're going to go sell off the assets for it. And so basically the paycheck stopped coming and I was like, shit, man, I got a mortgage. I need to go figure something out. So your paycheck stopped and you started a service business. Yeah. And I didn't put much thought into it. This was like swing number 44 for me or whatever. I've launched a ton of things, mostly software. And this one, I was feeling burnt out because the company out of the studio was a hardcore computer vision product. So when I was scrolling through my Notion doc, I think I landed on it, honestly, because I just didn't feel like writing any code. (laughs) That's how I got into services originally. And then I realized, oh, if I can make this a service, especially in B2B, there's almost always software you can build afterwards. That's right. What I will say, though, is the whole kind of service business angle and cold email studio is that service revenue is just such a new concept to me that you could start something, sell higher dollar volume and actually get real cash flow to pay real people to do real human labor very quickly. It was remarkable how quickly that one came together. I think part of it was the message I reached out to for a particular market segment at a particular moment in time happened to work. I don't know. I feel like it was just lucky. I've taken the same steps many different times, many different products, many different market segments, and never had all three of those, right message, right person, right time, come together so quickly. But I think that's the power of productized services and why I'm an advocate for starting there and then building the software later. It's much quicker to revenue. Yeah. Just the number of tools you can build to scale a cold email service on its own. There's at least half a dozen companies doing tens of millions a year on that stack. (laughs) Yep. So there's certainly demand for it, to say the least. And once you have cold email down just as a lead gen service, expanding into something like PR using the same techniques is 
is a simple transition. Yeah, I would have to partner for something like that. That's getting way far out of my wheelhouse. What was interesting though, is it was just me when I first started. I did that for two or three months, brought it to 10K and recurring revenue. And then I ended up finding a friend of mine who I had put together for this acquisitions group because I was doing those in parallel. I just went out on Twitter and Indie Hackers and said, who wants to wire money to each other on the internet and start buying software companies? And one of the guys that came in from that, his name's Mikey, and he ended up being a really good fit to take over as CEO for Cold Email Studio. So it was like, I had this kind of lightning strike. And obviously these numbers are still quite small relative to some of the deals out there, but it was meaningful to me. And then I effectively gave up control like four months into the thing. That's impressive. The way I talk about that is that if you really want to be a great entrepreneur, you need to be a lazy entrepreneur. Because if you're trying to do everything, then you get nowhere. And you yep. just got to get other people to do it for you. Andrew launched 44 software projects, but most of them didn't work out. Then, the one that he didn't put too much thought into and stumbled upon a while later became the most lucrative. And he credits all of its initial success to the timing. Right message, right person, right time. But he foresaw that in order to grow faster, he'll need to build a team. He shared this online and found people interested enough to join in. That spread the workload and enabled faster growth. Never underestimate the power of delegation. But what's next from there? Now, you're saying when you started acquiring companies just with these random people online, is that XOXO? That's right. But initially, a part of me was like, listen, this is to the partners group. None of us know each other. We all are interested in this space. Worst case scenario is because there's four of us, we lose 75% less cash if this doesn't work out. And everyone's, yeah, that sounds great. So it was totally like a risk mitigation strategy, not like this grand vision of a next generation private equity firm. But <laughs> I think five, six months into this thing, we're looking at it and remarkably, everybody in that group is pretty great. It became clear to us after we did three together that eventually we were gonna run out of our own capital and the next move is to go raise a fund and see if we can do this with other people's money as well as our own. I love it. So I saw on the site that you guys are looking for a junior CEO now. Is that accurate? So I can give you the behind the scenes since this yeah. is, uh, that's what we're here for, right? <laughs> I wouldn't say it's a bait and switch, but I think the level of people that would apply to that position are very different than somebody that would do a kind of small entry level position or an, a paid internship. So I've gotten a lot of really great resumes in front of everybody because of the positioning of a job title. You called yourself somebody that's adept at positioning. You can appreciate how much better of a position that title is on a resume than mm -hmm. it then. Ops manager. Yeah, junior ops manager or something. <laughs> I love it. And so it's working then? You're getting the kind of people you want in? Yeah, we are. It's just uh, really hungry younger entrepreneurs are looking for the ability to really just have access to that kind of responsibility, right? And I'm a big fan of just making a decision quickly if it's non-catastrophic. And so the thinking is that we could get really high quality people by positioning that job as a junior CEO. And functionally it would be, right? And they might not have as much control over the finances perhaps, but functionally it would be like, how do we grow this company? Wrestling with those kinds of questions is what that role is intended for. And letting somebody have an idea and go prove it out with data, I just feel like there's very little downside. To. Letting somebody that hasn't done it before, that's really ambitious and wants to give it a shot, go give it a shot, prove themselves. Especially with that sort of service, it's a very clear value proposition. And you know that if they just put their pedal on the gas, 
they cold called 100 people every day and did nothing else, the company would grow. Oh, yeah. And I think that's a really good place to be at. Exactly. I think I would venture to say most of the micro SaaS out there, if you had somebody grinding that hard, they would all grow. Especially for us, if we bought something with revenue, I either is some kind of ICP internal customer profile that's paying, right? You already have paying users. And essentially, when we're buying these companies, we're buying the time it would take for us to figure this out ourselves. So now you log into Stripe, right? There's a thousand, two thousand MRR coming in there. You can look at who's buying and it just takes somebody that's hungry and wants to go out there and go hunt business down. And I think you could do that for almost every company in our portfolio, at least today, for sure. And Colby Mill. Yeah, honestly, that's one of the things I look for if I'm interested in getting involved with any sort of business is if it doesn't have that easy of a sale path and it's not profitable or it's not profitable to do that, then I don't want to touch the business because yeah. I, I need just that clear growth lever at all times. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Cold emails like that, very clear value proposition. Today, I mean, our cold email outreach, I haven't changed the title of the email since the very beginning. It just says cold email as a service with the stupid email emoji with the heart over it. And that email just crushes. It just crushes. I'm curious, is cold email studio the primary revenue for you now? No. So when I made the decision to bring Mikey on as a partner and make him CEO, I had other stuff that was going on that was taking up some time, namely just like consulting. I'm interested in the ownership of cold email. I think that's a very sellable business. And I think that it will kick off cash flow eventually that we can funnel back into these micro acquisitions. But I think it's six months out and I'd rather just not take a salary or take any money out of it. I'd rather take care of the people that are already there, make sure we're meeting payroll every month because there's a lot of bodies now. Three full time and six part time. Andrew sure does know the importance of a team and has developed great strategies for hiring the right kind of people. As we've heard, a great value proposition will get very ambitious candidates ready to run through brick walls to prove themselves an asset. A growth plan can be as straightforward as that, but a lot of work still has to be put in. What's your North Star metric for success? How do you know you're on the right path? I don't know. Like we alluded to at the beginning, my path to getting into tech and stuff like that was a little funky. And so I stopped planning stuff after I had gotten hurt when I was a kid because I had all these grandiose plans and I used to be a big goal setter. It never fucking worked. You know what I mean? It was like oh. three months into the thing, something hit me from the side and I had to take a left turn. That's called life and you adjust. And so I, I honestly spend very little time thinking about these grandiose plans. I think for cold email, the real North Star metric for that really is just agency control over my time. And so is my time more controlled by me or is it controlled by some other employer or some other business? Does my ass have to be in like a chair that I don't own? And there's no end date to that, right? Like. I would look at that as being farther away from my agency metric. Can I go surfing right after this call? Yes, I can. Okay, so that's closer to this increase in agency. Nice. Ever since the unfortunate incident as a teenager completely ruined his plans, Andrew doesn't do too much planning and instead just focuses on the present controllable goals and regaining control over his time. That's a pretty good North Star metric if you ask me. And so what's your current goal? I haven't figured out how to thoughtfully vocalize this, so this will be a little rougher on the edges. But basically, I love the concept of effective altruism. I also recognize that we live in a kind of capitalist society. I have a mortgage, right? That's got to get paid. Otherwise, the, the bank takes my house. So I have financial goals for cold email. I have financial goals for Exo Capital. I have personal financial goals and all that stuff. But yeah, I just, I don't know. 
It's a good question. I'm interested in your answer because it seems like at this point, you're really looking to find investments, either time or money that you can make that increase your optionality and revenue. Yes, I am trying to maximize my optionality for sure. I'm also trying to diversify revenue streams. I think broadly, like I'm stealing this from somebody, a quick quote in the context of meditation, which will sound odd in a second, but he was like, let's get you rich first and then you can go have this like spiritual reawakening. And I think that's a really pragmatic Machiavellian view of how the world really works. And so I have to take a job that I don't want to, to be able to live. And so that is goal number one to get out of there. But like I said, at the top, I do eventually want to take those huge baseball swings that could affect humanity. But I can't justify doing that if I can't take care of myself and my people first. I personally don't have the headspace to think about saving humanity when I'm still thinking about like the whole foods bill. Totally. And as always, we wrap it all up by answering the question. If you could send a tweet back to your start, what would it be? Oh, damn. That's too hard. I'm going to go back to, <laughs> ah, it's so hard. I mean, the path not taken is just an unknown. I don't know. I think this lines up from everything I've learned about you is that you don't have any regrets. You're here living in the present and you're doing the things you want to do. You're building the things you want to build and you're not letting anything else stop you. I'm really stubborn. I don't know that I would have like <laughs> heeded my own wisdom. Even now, if my 42-year-old self told me some advice, I'd probably be like, yeah, thank you, but I'm going to like kindly disregard that for now and go do my own thing. <laughs>